All new Ellen. Heidi Klum. That was the least scary scare we've ever done. Plus, Billy Lord from American Horror Story. Just the thought of it makes me shudder. An all new Ellen, today at 3, only on NBC5. The new NBC DFW app, bringing you critical weather information faster. S-Band Radar, thousands of local weather stations, breaking news and weather. The most powerful weather tech in Texas, live on your phone. The new NBC DFW app. Install it now. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Mary Carlo Magno. She is a best-selling author, organizer, speaker, and spokesperson specializing in helping individuals and groups embracing simplicity in everyday living. Mary is one of the nation's leading experts on organizing and frequent contributor on national television, radio, and print. She has been featured on the Oprah Winfrey Show, the Today Show, CBS News, In Red Book, Real Simple, Design New Jersey, and Women's Day. Mary has also been interviewed on National Public Radio, The Joan Hamburg Show, and Martha Stewart Living. Mary and I will be discussing her newly released novel, Best friend for hire. Good morning, Mary. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Johnny. I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air. Best friend for hire is a wonderful and entertaining read about life, living, and the pursuit of happiness. I love the title. The real-life situation captured, although serious, but wonderfully funny and humorous. So congratulations on that approach. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Well, I'm a New Jersey resident my entire life. I've only left New Jersey for two weeks at a time. I've tried to leave for a longer amount of time, but it doesn't seem to work out. I always come back, or they, <laughs> as they say. I always get pulled back in. So um, I'm presently living in New Jersey now. I spent many, many years in Hoboken, um, which Restaurant for Hire is um, based in Hoboken. And I come from a large Italian-American family who is very involved in my life, and I am very involved in their lives as well. Um, I have two children right now, and um, my husband and family and I live in suburban New Jersey, so I went from a city mouse to a country mouse about five years ago, which I am enjoying so much. Um, I love to write. I love to restore furniture. That's one of my hobbies. And, of course, I like to organize anything I can get my hands on. When did you discover you like everything to be organized in your life? Well, I think it's Lady Gaga that says you're born that way. <laughs> I was born that way, for sure. Um, even as a child, I didn't even uh-huh. want people to come into my room if it wasn't tidy. So I was constantly... Uh-huh organizing and reorganizing, whether it was the doll clothes or my collection of Smurfs or whatever little collection I had as a child was always meticulously organized. I am astrologically a Virgo, which makes me prone to order and organization. So I think it was just a combination of of everything. But I am probably, they say some people, you know, 
tend to be cluttered or be hoarders. Mm-hmm. I tend to mm-hmm. the other extreme where I'm putting almost putting things away too rapidly. My husband always jokes with me, where did this go? I just had this out. Oh, I put it away. I put it away. So I am, you know, we all have our stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> and my uh-huh. stuff is probably that I put away, put away things too quickly. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? My mom would love you as a daughter, though. (laughs) (laughs) Not to worry about anything. (laughs) I remember growing up, it's like, what happened? What what did you do to my table? I know exactly what I'm looking for, you know? And when she organized everything, it's like, threw me off. It's just like, no, this is not organized. I don't know where all my stuff is at. That's right. Everybody (laughs) has their own method. So true, so true. How did people around you react to this behavior tendency? Well, I have three older brothers, and they're Mm -hmm. all – only one of them is not tidy. He's Mm -hmm. the one that we kind of look at and say, well, where did he come from, you know? Um, We all have our little (laughs) hang-ups and our little um, tendencies. My mom was very disciplined with us and structured us very – um, was very consistent behavior as a child. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. I write about, which is being organized is a habit. It's a ritual. It's something you do every day methodically, you know, automatically, mm-hmm. like you exercise, like you brush your teeth. So it is something, if you're born into it like we were, um, mm-hmm. it becomes a natural part of your life, and you don't see it any other way. So when I, my family probably views me as, oh, yeah, she's the organized person. I don't think that my family thought that I would become a professional organizer. I don't think I thought yeah. I was going to be a professional organizer. I just thought everyone was like me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, with the way that the world has changed and our obsession with buying things and yeah. over shopping and going to the big, you know, warehouse stores and bulking mm-hmm. up on everything, um, the necessity for organizing has become more and more important. It's true. When you were growing up, how about your girlfriends? I mean, were they okay with that? I'm sure you were very particular about being tidy, neat, and everything has to be sort of in its proper place and so forth. Isn't that a little intimidating? Uh, it can be. I mean, most of my girlfriends later in life had me in their closets, which is how I started my business. So <laughs> it sort of used me. And then I became the person at work to help everyone organize their files. So I would be visiting offices while I was working in New York and publishing. I'd be visiting everybody's office, showing them how to yeah. organize their desk and how to organize their file cabinets. So um, my approach has always been non judgmental. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. tell my friends that they're sloppy or anything. Um, But I might help them if they were to ask for help. And that kind of friendly spirit um, is really what infused and started my business order, which was somewhat like best friend for hire. Your friend comes over and helps you out. She doesn't judge you. She doesn't Mm -hmm. tell you that you're a bad person because your sock drawer is a mess. She simply (laughs) helps you take care of it on your own. That's true. But then again, I'm sure when you were growing up, they didn't have Instagram at that time as well. Exactly. That's true. true. Not everybody was showing their pictures of their desks, you know, immediately, as we are so apt to do on social media now. It's, I always say we have right. to take a picture unless because if we don't take a picture, it didn't happen. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. there is such a tendency just to be recording our lives rather than living our lives. There's, there's a, that's yeah, a whole other discussion. <laughs> Very interesting. I tell you what, all the guys, and this is speaking from the guy's perspective, we are all envious of your husband. See? <laughs> I'll tell him that. 
<laughs> that might make him feel better. He thinks I'm a little obsessive, so. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He's a little bit of a collector, but he has uh, his own see? space. It's yeah, called the base. <laughs> Do this anything he wants down there. <laughs> Wonderful. At least he's got his own private place. That's good. This was he years does. ago. It was very, very interesting. I'm... Not necessarily anal, but I like things to be in order. It's funny, I guess, maybe over the years, things that my mom wanting me to do and be just sort of rubbed off. And so I'm mm-hmm. very particular. I look at it, I coin it from a standpoint of being lazy. I hate to have to redo things, so I put everything back the way it's supposed to be. Of course, nowadays they talk about taking away the coven footprint. But anyway, I have people that come over to my house and they get intimidated. They say, oh, my God. You're living by yourself, but then everything is so nice and neat. Hey, you know, Johnny, you need to mess things up a little bit because you make the women feel intimidated. That's right. (laughs) So I don't know how far that's true or not, but it's like you need to mess things up a little bit so that the women feel like they need it in your life. (laughs) Oh, I guess so. I don't know. I mean, you could just find someone who's a fabulous cook instead. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it would work out in a different way. That's true. That's true. So... How did writing come to you? Did it come to you fairly easy? Well, I was a journalism minor in college, and Mm -hmm. I recently heard from my, just to go way back, I heard from my fifth grade teacher the other day, and she Mm -hmm. told me that I used to write these elaborate short stories in the fifth grade, and she had such a terrible time um, grading them because it took her so long to read them. I had Mm -hmm. completely forgotten that I had done that, so... I don't know. I, I think maybe somewhere in the fifth or sixth grade, I started this idea of writing or observing mm-hmm. um, and starting mm-hmm. to record things. So I did write through high school. I wrote for the you know the newspaper. I was a sports writer, believe it or not. And then I wrote for the college newspaper, and I began it you know the journalism minor. And mm-hmm. um, it just has always been something that I was interested in. And then as I moved through my career, I did a lot of writing, you know, it was on the marketing and publicity side more so than the editorial side in publishing. But I still was flexing my writing muscles. Um, mm-hmm. And that, was, that all led up to the first book. Um, so something, yeah, I think books really had been the driving force uh, behind my entire life. I mean, for as long as I could read, I would go to the library and pile on those Judy Bloom books and take as many home as I could on Saturday and return the next Saturday. And that was my my habit, my reading habit. And I still read every day. Um, it's one of the most important things in my life. Very interesting. You know, there's writing and there's writing. And obviously based on the background that you have in writing and just the sheer love and passion. So you are probably very different, even from some of the best sellers out there, because you have that, what I call from a layman's term, much more individualized muscles that you can pull in and sort of have them work together. I hope that makes sense what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, I do do come from the standpoint, I mean, I believe strongly of write what you know. And for many years, what I knew was how to tell people to stop buying 100 pairs of shoes and putting them in their closet or how to organize (laughs) their spice rack. So for many years, I did that. Um, And that's really a comfort spot. Yeah, you can flex Mm -hmm. different uh, different parts of your muscles and different parts of your expertise. And I did a lot of, um, you know, prescriptive Mm how-to writing for many years for magazines, Mm -hmm. online and newspapers, um, did a lot of content writing and um, Mm -hmm. a lot of work, you know, I do a lot of workshops, so I'd write the workshops. And that really led to this career in my field study of 
people mm-hmm. and their messes, which has been going on for <laughs> 15 years now. Um, and then I, you know, I started finding the humor in, in them as well, um, yeah. that how people organize their things. And, you know, we talk a little bit about how people take it so seriously, and it really is just your stuff. You know, you can manage your tasks. People tend to manage their anxiety about the tasks. So if you can get them through their anxiety points, um, it's much more easy to organize. And that's really been my working philosophy when I write is to put people at ease, help them find comfort in what they're doing, and let them know that these are doable tasks that they can achieve. So certainly writing what I know is um, has always been a place of power for me. And almost as a fiction writer would have the need to tell a story, for me, I have a need to tell somebody how to do something well to help them. And I feel like I can, and I have um, couched that in a, in a soft delivery because some people um, are really, really tense about these issues. And I go to workshops and people are really freaked out and I have to really put them at ease. So I use a lot of humor in my workshops as well to do that, to couch the message, to make sure it's a soft landing because it's, it, people do want to be told what to do, but they don't want to be told what to do. What is the inspiration behind Best Friend to Hire? Well, the inspiration really came from my own life working in self-help. I spent a long time after leaving corporate trying to decide what I wanted to do with Mm -hmm. my life, and I fell into really this relationship with clients as a professional organizer where I'd go to their house and tidy up very, you know, various aspects of their life. Um, Sometimes they didn't really have a job for me. So I would show up and say, what are we organizing? And they'd say, oh, well, you know, I don't know. And I would just spend time with them. So that was kind of the impetus (laughs) for Best Friend for Hire that I thought, oh, my gosh, people are just hiring me to hang out with them. This is a little strange. So that happened a few times, and it it stuck with me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I wanted to convey that. I wanted to write about that. But I also wanted to write from the standpoint of a person who goes into a, a complete stranger's home to fix some problem that they may not know what it is until they get there. So I thought that 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 experience that I have lived through in my client life has always been very interesting, that I would just show up and say, like, oh, well, what's going to happen here? And um, many times it's an an interesting thing that happens. Um, But, you know, people are very tense and nervous about their stuff. And I always say, you know, you really have to manage your anxiety about these tasks rather than because the tasks themselves, I can tell you what to do. And I I think I may have mentioned this to you earlier, uh, people want to be told what to do, but they don't want to be Mm -hmm. told what to do. So you have to really couch these messages messages with them um, in a soft landing that they can parcel out and understand and really be (laughs) ready to make the change. And changing is very difficult for people. Um, It certainly was me. Um, I went through a major change when I first um, started my career. I had been in a job that I was unhappy with, and I didn't have a great relationship, and I lived in an apartment I hated, and I was shopping and running up debt, and I just wasn't happy. So um, writing for me came as sort of a a cathartic exercise that I had done, which was um, giving something up once a month for the course of a year. So it was like Lent for mm-hmm. a year. Any Catholics out there who practice Lent 
Now, as a child Catholic, um, giving up ring dings doesn't really bring you closer to God. <laughs> um, and I don't think I really understood that as a child. So as an adult, I did a, a study on Lent and realized that it's supposed yeah. to be a spiritual experience that you should become a changed person as a result of sacrificing something by choice. So making those monthly right. sacrifices for me, and let's, you know, let me be honest with you, they weren't... Um, major things, their privileges, and, mm-hmm. but they are important privileges like coffee right. and chocolate and cell phones and multitasking and elevators and alcohol. So there are all these things that I gave up serially over the course, course of a year because I was trying right. to make or break a habit. Now, psychologists say that habits take four weeks to make or break. So right. it was a really good exercise for me in appreciation, and I think that's really what gave me the most um, experience to help people get organized and help them break shopping addiction. And that, in turn, turned into my first book, Give It Up. So that's really mm-hmm. where my writing career came from. I had always been writing throughout my career, and I had been in books my entire career. So it's, you know, all these things do lead you to the next um, step in your journey, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know what that step is, so... I think the writing and the books um, aspect have always been very important themes in my life. Very interesting. You have written several books, and they're wonderful, wonderful books. So, like we talk about, this is done in layered, and so it was the right time for you to write Best Friend for Hired. In a way, it's sort of a summary book. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, write what you know, and I know Italian Americans in New Jersey, and self help, and book publishing, and I know what it is to be let go from a job, um, which yeah. many, many more of us now have had to experience in the past, you know, fifteen or so years right. than ever before, um, as the corporate world changes and the virtual world changes, and there's more remote jobs and different kinds of jobs. Um, certainly. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been other things, other areas of career that have been opened up for people by the growth of, of um, you know, technology. But some of the jobs that used to be there just aren't there anymore. And book publishing had become very condensed because book publishers mm-hmm. change and evolve, and they're all um, shrinking a bit with the age of digital. So those kinds of changes, I think, resonated with people. Um, they certainly do when I teach entrepreneurial workshops. What do you do now if you've lost this job? And um, mm-hmm. that was something I wanted to really capture. It had happened to a lot of friends of mine as well. So capturing that discomfort of being in that structure one day and suddenly the next day you're not in that structure. Um, being in mm-hmm. that busy environment where you think you're so important and the next day you're not important to anyone in your mind, you know. So right, right, paradigm right. shift. So I wanted to write about that for sure. So interesting. How difficult was it? for you to switch from a how-to book writing to a novel? Well, I had written this book right after I wrote Gave It Up. So I had written the first draft of Best Friend for Hire in 2005 and had a friend read it who was an editor who gave me some solid advice. And I was so afraid of it, of doing the changes, that I put it in a drawer and it stayed there for 10 years. And I didn't unearth it again. I'd written two other books. I even had two kids. <laughs> I was so afraid of the book that I had two kids. That's pretty scary. Um, so I, I then unearthed it when I moved out here to the suburbs. I felt a sense of relaxation that I hadn't felt before living in the city. Um, and I took it out again, and I thought, let me 
work on it. Let me see what this is. So I hired an editor to guide me through it. He was like a writing coach, and he would mm-hmm. say, you can do this, and here are some pages. I'll make some edits, and he turned them around. And over the course of three or four months, we got the book in shape, and I felt confident enough to have other people read it and then to then get it published. So it was a little bit of a confidence switch rather than even a writing switch. I have had so many fiction heroes in my career that people that I've met, whether it's Judy Bloom or Don DeLillo or Philip Roth or Jhumpa Lahiri, I mean, so many of my heroes. I couldn't imagine me having a book next to them in, in the bookstore. I thought they'd be mad for some reason. <laughs> um, so my, my editor so kindly said to me, well, if Richard Ford wrote a book, uh, you know, a chick lit book, maybe this would be it. And for some reason, that really um, relieved me. And I began to focus on why I was writing the book to begin with, which was to inform a bit, but also really to entertain. I wanted to write a book that was humorous, light, and fun Mm -hmm. that people could read and get away from their problems for a a little bit of time and just have a couple of laughs. And um, (laughs) I didn't want to take the book too seriously because I had been taking the idea of writing fiction so seriously. I really wanted to lighten up. So for me, it was an exercise in lightening up myself as well as writing Mm -hmm. a light, um, accessible book that people would have a few laughs. Very, very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Mary Carla Magno. She's a best-selling author, organizer, speaker, and spokesperson specializing in helping individuals and groups embrace simplicity in everyday life. Mary and I are discussing her newly released novel, Best Friend for Hire. Mary, can you give us a quick synopsis of Best Friend for Hire? Yes. So Jessie DeSalvo, who is about to march in and get her promotion on the first day back from Christmas vacation, quickly finds out that when she's called into the vice president's office that she is being fired. She has no idea this is coming. In fact, she thinks she's about to have this great big breakfast in the corporate um, headquarters. And she quickly finds out that she has been fired and must leave the company immediately. So she retreats back to Hoboken, where she immediately goes to find her on-again, off-again boyfriend, who is on again with her best friend (laughs) and off again with her. And Mm -hmm. she's scrambling to figure out what in the world she's going to do with her life. So she goes through a series of soul-searching exercises and workshops and tries to figure out what she's going to do. And she falls into a career as a best friend for hire when she meets the bartender at a bar that's about to go out of business, and she decides that her publicity background will really help him to save the bar. And she ends up falling in love with him and doing anything she can to to be near him. So she promises that Bruce Mm -hmm. Springsteen will come to his club to save the day. (laughs) (laughs) It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. Were there challenges in composing the novel? Uh, Yes. I think the challenge in in composing any novel are really the mechanics of it. Um, Mm -hmm. The tendency is to want to write, and write and write and write, but you really need to look at what the, what's happening with the story, how it leads to um, an arc and then comes back down mm-hmm. into resolution. So those are some things that I really had to figure out that I had not been familiar with in writing nonfiction work. I didn't think mm-hmm. about 
you know, the resolution of certain character relationships. I didn't think about how the story would end. So really telling the story um, became very important to me to learn how to do. So that's something I really needed to learn how to do. In reading the book, and we've talked about this a little bit because it is an expression of a story about this woman, young woman trying to pursue happiness, life, living, and so forth. How much of you is in the book? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Most of it. Um, I didn't Uh fall in love with a bartender and um, not tell him. I probably would have Uh told him. So that, you know, some of that is is, is not true. Um, The basic basic tenets of the book of the Italian-American upbringing and the publishing career and a lot of the self-help stuff is absolutely taken from my life Mm -hmm. with some embellishments. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think my business order could be likened to Best Friend for Hire. So Mm -hmm. it it is Mm -hmm. semi, I would say it's semi-autobiographical. I didn't want to write it as a memoir because Mm -hmm. I did want to have some Mm -hmm. fun with it and put some characters in that exist and play with the timelines and um, write some situations that that were not true. Um, So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that idea of it being inspired by my life, but not necessarily based completely on my life. Sure. What was the favorite part in composing the book? Um, Finishing it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually on the favorite part right now. I really like doing the promotion. I really like talking about it. I like meeting people like you who want to talk about it and have me on their show. So I really like the promotional part of it. And I love doing the readings of the book. Um, So that's been something that's just been fun. I think Dorothy Parker said it's more fun to have written than to write. And I am that person Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, Wonderful. because my practice has always been to write um, 2,500 words at the most articles, and that's what I still continue to do to this day. Mm-hmm. So writing that long-form fiction really was challenging. It was really challenging mm-hmm. to do. I imagine at the same time it does give you the latitude like we talk about because it lets your mind to run off in some ways to create what you think you want to see versus a how-to. It's very precise, concise. There's no... A left or right turn, kind of sense. Yes, it does uh, absolutely yeah. let you be creative, and that's really how I wrote the yeah. first draft. Is I just spewed it out. I did um, novel mm-hmm. writing in a month, um, mm-hmm. so it would take thirty days to write fifty thousand words. So I was writing, I think I was writing four thousand or something words a day, or six thousand wow. words a day. It was something insane. I'd get up every day and just write, 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 yeah. write, and. Um, yeah. Most of it was the framework of the book. I personally am a better editor than writer, which makes sense mm-hmm. because I'm more of an organizer. So I like to organize what I've written. Yeah. So just having that complete chaotic, cra- crazy, creative <laughs> flow to let myself get yeah. to that level was fun because I knew I could go back and tidy it up. So I had a methodology. You know, it was sort of the the two evils. You know, it was like the darker side of my personality right. got to write, and then Mary, Mrs. Order, came in and fixed it. So it was a little bit of both. Fantastic. How did you come up with the various characters? Um, Some of them are inspired by people I knew. I've spent a lot of time, you know, I worked in New York City for 17 years, and I worked in book publishing for most of that time, all of that time, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, Mm -hmm. I've met some very interesting people. And Mm -hmm. um, they've inspired me to write. And some of the clients certainly are based on real people. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of them are are composites or are created, but not much mm-hmm. of the dialogue I feel 
familiar with. I feel like right. I I could have heard somebody said that say that, and mm-hmm. you know I would sit on the you know path train on the way into the city, and I would listen to people talk. So um, that was an interesting thing for me to pick up on um, different kinds of people and how they might say things, which would be different than how I might say something. So that was a really interesting place to inhabit. I see. Various characters. There's no one that comes in and says. <gasps> She wrote about me. We need to call Bruno and take care of her. Yeah, no, I have a, I have a, couple, I have a couple people that I have written about that I, I almost forgot I had written about, and they've called me and they're like, thank you so much. I love the character. And I was like, oh, great. Um, because they are supposed to be written. I, I, I definitely wrote them with love. I don't think they're, anybody, even in their in their faults, is written um, out of um, – you know, they're all written from a compassionate place um, because – I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I treated them with love. Um, my mother said to me that she thought she came across as a little mean. And I said, well, how do you know that's you anyway? <laughs> that's a good one. Say, a mom may have to send somebody after you. That's right. She already came out. She already called me. I gave her the book. The first day it came out, uh-huh. she's on the phone. Uh-huh. I said, here we go. <laughs> uh, uh, was humor essential in getting organized as well? Absolutely. I could not do my job if I was not laughing because mm. it would. I think I would probably cry. I think, um, <laughs> you know, certainly there are some situations I've been in that have been quite tense and quite serious. Um, yeah. And you know, just as a uh, as a little disclaimer. I have worked with hoarders who have serious mental illnesses, and I will not work with them unless they are under psychiatric care at the time that I'm working with them. And I mentioned that in a workshop the other night, and and people looked and they didn't. There was a bit of an uncomfortable laugh. I said, "Well, let me explain to you what a hoarder is." I said, "You know, it's really only two percent of the population. That's the kind that you see on TV, and this is an obsessive compulsive disorder that's quite serious. It's not that you know my husband mm-hmm. doesn't put away his." shoes and socks at the end of the day. Right, so I had right. to really make that clear. So I don't joke with hoarders. I will try to smile with them and be very gentle and couch right. how I speak to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, that's a very delicate situation. So the 98% of the people that I deal with are usually shopaholics, usually busy moms, and they know mm-hmm. what what they're doing, and I try to really use humor with them to diffuse the situation <laughs> um, because sometimes people feel really debilitated by not being able to do something. And mm-hmm. um, I try to encourage them to know that they have the ability to do it and just to make the choice to make the decisions um, because clutter really is decision-making. That's all it comes down to, and it's clutter is delayed decision-making. That's why there's clutter. So if you're not making a decision, you're causing a clutter pile. And that's when I diffuse that for them and they understand what that is, it's much easier to handle. So they can take it in pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. So if if they have a disaster room, it's not going to change overnight. You're going to go 30 minutes a day and go a drawer at a time. Little victories every day will lead to that larger goal. It leads you to progress. But you have to engage in it. You can't just throw your hands Mm -hmm. up and say, you know, I'm waiting for the perfect conditions to start this. You just have to start and engage. And as you do, you will see growth. Hey, you got two ways of handling that. You can either call a pod and have them <laughs> deliver it and put it in a driveway, or you can call waste management. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Or you can wait. You know, I had someone ask me the other day, um, this person that she knew was about to be evicted from his home. Because mm-hmm. it's become because if the fire department finds out that you have this problem, 
Um, you have oh. a problem on your hands. So I said, well, let him know yeah. that he, he is in the he is in the position right now to make the decisions for himself. Otherwise, someone else is going to be making them for him. So ask him where he feels mm-hmm. more comfortable. Because at a certain point with that kind of a problem, you start to really lose power. You really lose control mm-hmm. of your situation. And, you know, clutter can sneak up on you and take over your life also. Because as, as we were talking about earlier, it's easier mm-hmm. to be organized. You don't lose time trying to find your keys. If you leave your keys in the same place every day, you don't have to scramble for them in the morning. So it, right. saves, it saves effort and it saves confusion really most of all. Very, very interesting. Coming back to talking about helping people, you have two different scenarios here, though, because you're giving a list, and then the other part of the equation, you really have to work with someone's behavior tendencies, don't you? Oh, yes. You have to figure them out really quickly um, because, you know, people, there's two kinds of people. One will call you up and say, mm-hmm. I want your help, and then they continue to say, well, I can do it on my own. You're like, okay, mm-hmm. then why did you call me? And have you done it on your own? Have you done it yet? No, it's in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently you cannot do this on your own. <laughs> Thank you for calling. <laughs> right, so you almost right, have right. to talk that person into that change. It's hard to admit that you you need a change. It's hard for some people mm-hmm. to admit. Um, some people are quite comfortable with the idea of someone coming in and really guiding them and um doing the work for them, which is not what I recommend Mm -hmm. either, because I've worked on a lot of jobs where the client wouldn't even be there. Um, And that's not the way to work either. It's really about finding the right customized situation for each client. What works for me Mm -hmm. does not work for you. Um, But you really Mm -hmm. have to go through a lot of the psychological baggage to figure it out. You know, it's it's really the Mm -hmm. why behind um, why it's why the stuff is there it's the why part that's important if you just came home from a business trip i get it did you just move i get mm-hmm. it you know, there are certain life mm-hmm. things that come in that will throw your world in a frenzy um so that's definitely part of it you know you're changing seasons and you want to change out your closet have you had a dramatic weight loss i mean these are all life problems or life situations that i've dealt with that might lead you into you know a situation of clutter um if it's just everyday habit making we have to then drill down to see what's um what are those little things you're doing every day and how can we change those habits and do you want to change those habits that's really where it comes down to um and i think the good litmus test for that is is something in your life winning and something losing like are you shopping so much out of control that you're now in financial debt which you know i've I've seen people who have that i've seen people who have racks and racks of clothes that have all the tags on them that have never been put on their body and one client i had i just my job was to organize all the returns so you have to Mm -hmm. see like what their hot spots are you know i mean i have my clients try clothes on for me constantly Constantly, I'm like, and I'm, I'm brutal. I'm like, uh, no, where are you going yeah. in that? <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> and if it, you it haven't worn like, it or have a, an expressed occasion for something, I use yeah. the two-week rule. If you haven't had it on oh. your body in two weeks, you don't have the necessity to wear it. Do not buy an Oscar de la Renta ball gown to a, to a gala that has not been planned, that you have not been invited to, that perhaps won't even happen. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's true because you're right in terms of at what point in life are you just collecting. There's a very fine line in terms of I want this, I need this, I'm going to use it versus this is part of my collection. 
Right. Don't you think? Yeah, and I think a lot of people do that. They curate their closet. You know, this would be mm-hmm. a good piece to have. Well, are you wearing it? What's the cost per wear? You know, um, mm-hmm. is it something you need? Is it, you know, is it just did you buy it because it was price um, effective to buy it? People really get romanced by this. Well, you know, this was originally $1,500. It's only right. $475, but, but you don't need it. And you don't need to even spend the $475. So I think, you know, the outside stimulus of sales and what celebrities are wearing and what the housewives are wearing, people, that Mm -hmm. really affects Mm -hmm. people. It really Mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. So what is the number one area in everyday living that a best friend for hire could truly make a humongous impact? Mm. A best friend for hire is someone who is just there for you. You know, we went through a, a big, big change in, in, you know, society where everybody was looking for um, a life coach or a therapist. Mm-hmm. A, a best friend for hire is really the best of both of those. It's someone who knows where you've been and knows where you're going and can just lend you support and a shoulder when you need it. Very interesting. Does Jesse's family pretty much mirrors yours? <laughs> well, I don't have one brother. I have three brothers. <laughs> um, but, yeah, certainly the uh, Sunday Italian gravy experience is absolutely true. My mother does still um, do the tomatoes on Sunday. Um, Sunday gravy, and she for many years canned tomatoes. So that Italian heritage piece is very much true to life. Um, the grandparents and the father are much more fabricated than my family, um, mm-hmm. but certainly the sibling relationship has a little bit of bearing, I think, on most sibling relationships. I wrote that as as almost a universal. Um, unwittingly, you know, I have an older son and a younger daughter, much like James and Jesse in terms of age. So maybe I was mm-hmm. trying to be a little predictive and look to the future. <laughs> but that's sometimes how fiction works. I didn't realize that I had put a brother and a sister in there that were close in age like my own children until someone pointed it out to me. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that sometimes when you let that creative flow go, you do grasp mm-hmm. onto the familiar. You do pick up the familiar mm-hmm. and the comfortable, you know, that where you can write about right. it. And even though it's fiction, it has to be believable. So you want to, you know, put, have it based in, in reality so people feel like they can connect to real people, although it's fictional. Right, right. That's true. In our family, my foster family, that is, they're Italian, Sicilian. We used to make our own muffaladas. Oh, yeah. You're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Italian and Sicilian. How'd you get so lucky? <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> we might have to talk about that later. <laughs> so how do you define living a simple life and yet enjoying all the bells and whistles? That's a good question. I mean, I don't think simplicity, you know, for me comes with, you know, being living a Spartan existence like Thoreau. You know, I don't think that that <laughs> is, um, is practical. Um, but I also think that I've found some balance and not following every impulse to go shopping. I mean, I would shop every day if, if I could, um, if I had the time, I would <laughs> certainly, I'd be at TJ Maxx every day. Um, I do love TJ Maxx. So, um, I think it's the, for me, it was the spending, thoughtless spending and trying not to, 
um, just buy possessions, but more to live through experiences. So I've always been a big traveler and a big, I've had big interest in food and wine and um, traveling to different places. And um, so I think that vesting my time in experience rather than possessions has definitely changed for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that just not being as, I'm trying to think of what, I guess, the right word. I think it's more being moderated. I always liken mm-hmm. it to, you know, Weight Watchers for your life. You know, you have point portion yeah. control and Weight Watchers. Like, you can have some of that chocolate cake, but you can't have the whole chocolate cake. <laughs> and also some of it comes with a bit of time management. My favorite saying for my clients is, you can have it all, you just can't have it all on Tuesday. So I think you have to parcel things out. Um, and I think what we tend to do... Um, for me, you know, and many of my my peers who are working women, mothers, daughters, sisters, wives, um, tend to spread themselves too thin and say yes to everything that comes by. Mm-hmm. You know, being overscheduled and being too busy um, comes, you know, takes a takes a toll on you. It comes with a cost. So I think you have to mm-hmm. really be very strategic about your life and finding right. the the right things to do for yourself at the right time. And I think when you do that, you can live a simpler life. And you can still have simple luxuries, too. You know, you can have, you know, your cashmere sweater or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. your latte is. You know, you can have those things. But I think when you have all those wonderful luxuries and you overdo them, you completely lose mm-hmm. appreciation for them anyway. So, Very interesting. Very, very interesting. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast available on Apple iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Broadcasting, and TuneIn Radio. And my guest this morning is Mary Kalamango. She's a best-selling author, organizer, speaker, and spokesperson specializing in helping individuals and groups embrace simplicity in everyday life. Mary and I are discussing her newly released novel, Best Friend for Hire, and I'm your host, Johnny Pan. Mary, do people that are extremely organized, like you, and organizing specialists, do you get unorganized yourself? Yeah, I'm in the middle of disorder right now. It's funny you should mention it. Um, We are about to do a renovation in my home. So um, when I went to go store everything, to put everything away, to get some of the things out of each room, I'm a little concerned because I think some of it might have really been not as methodically packed away as a good mover would do. I think mm-hmm. um, I had, I did have a little bit of a delayed decision-making where I thought I'll sort that out later. So um, we all have our little things. And, you know, I mentioned earlier I do a lot of furniture restoration, and mm-hmm. um, I have a workshop in the back of my garage, and my husband's always telling me it's a terrible mess and I really should clean it up. And I said, well, this is kind of my one place to be a little bit of a disaster. Because I do a lot of painting. I do a lot of sanding. I work on I work mm-hmm. on a lot of 1930s um, dressers and desks and mm-hmm. things like that. And it's very messy mm-hmm. in there. And he said he goes in there, and it's just crazy. He can't even believe that I work. <laughs> so I think we might all have our little hidden, hidden place. Um, but I yeah. feel that that chaos when you're doing, you know, just like when I was writing the book, to create that chaos that you then order later – to me, it becomes exciting. So I think in a way I like to create some of that so I can organize it later. It almost gives me something to look forward to. Because when I go to a big job at a client and it's a disaster, I want to just park myself there and stay till I finish. 
and order pizza mm-hmm. in until we're done. I mean, and I've had that feeling so many times. So I have a little of my own anxiety about getting things ordered. So um, sometimes I think I do create a little disorder so I have something to do with it later. <laughs> <laughs> you can use this new word, though, control yes. this organization. <laughs> I like it. I might, I might borrow that from you. Yeah, see, I've never disorganized. It's control disorganization. There you go. I knew exactly where everything is at. That's right. <laughs> what three simple things can someone do to declutter their life? Um, let's see. I think the, the best thing you can do every morning is make your bed. I think mm. that's like the best thing you can do because it gives you a clean slate. Um, I also think that doing a a little nasty task at the beginning of each day will make you more productive for the rest of the day. So if you have the dreaded phone call that you're putting off, do it first thing in the morning. Um, If you Mm -hmm. hate to exercise, do it first thing in the morning. I think that um, we spend so much time managing how badly we feel about some things that we need to do that we waste the whole day feeling bad. So I'd say do the, do the nastiest task first. And Mm -hmm. I'd say that, um, when answering invitations and requests mm-hmm. to do things, be completely honest when you answer. So if someone asks you to volunteer for yet another PTA committee that you know you do not have time for, just say no thank you, not at this time. Mm-hmm. If someone asks you to go out to dinner when you already know that your husband has something booked, say no thank you. Because I think sometimes we say yes, 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 and we build all these problems for ourselves. So I think um, mm-hmm. saying no thank you to some events would help you off the hook with your scheduling clutter for sure. So priority list is very critical then. Yes, absolutely. I think you really need to have an idea of what you, you want to be doing um, and, just, and to do them for the right reasons. Um, someone came up to me recently, asked me to chair a committee in town, and they said, you should do it because you'd be so good at it. And I knew full well I had no time to do this. And I said, you're right. I would be very good at that. But I don't have time to do it right now. And if I can't give it 100%, I don't want to do it at all. So I have to say no thank you. And maybe the time will come up where I can do it. Um, Because Mm -hmm. I think people would appreciate the fact that you're doing things completely and 100% rather than phoning it in. You know, and that doesn't reflect well on you or the person who asked you to do the job. So I think you have to be really honest about your time and what you can commit to. Very interesting. In your course of business, you've run into people that are just basically totally, totally disorganized because they lack the priority list, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. then you have people that are actually having behavioral issues, not in a bad way, but well, I mean, they're too touched now in the behavioral side of the equation because you have one of those people that just like to say bye, bye, bye or, you know, collect, 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 so to speak. And then you have the person that, like you just mentioned just now, who is probably more of an empath, who has difficulty in saying no. Right. That's a tremendous pressure on them. It's like, oh, my God, I failed this person. I failed Nancy. I couldn't right. be at the PTA meeting and so forth. How do you handle these three different scenarios? Well, I mean, it really has to come down to the person, ultimately the person's happiness. Um, mm-hmm. And usually if I'm talking to them, there's a sense of unhappiness. So I think that's it's correcting the thing that makes them happy and really drilling down on each person. What What is it that you want out of this? And sometimes we accept these things to do for all the wrong reasons. Um, 
you know, there's this whole philosophy that I am doing all this for my kids. I'm doing this whole mm-hmm. thing for my kids, or I'm doing, and, and I'm not sure that sometimes that's the case. Or um, you have a toxic relationship that you keep feeding. Um, I know of a friend who was constantly picking up for her friend who needed all this mm-hmm. help in their business. They were running an entrepreneurial business, and my friend was doing all this freelance work for no pay. Um, mm-hmm. And it got to the point where it's like, well, why are you doing this exactly? Are you being taken advantage of? Or is this a job you're trying to get? And the person just didn't know how to say no to them. So you can have that kind of imbalance in even a relationship, a toxic relationship. But I think you have to get down with each person to understand what about this isn't working, why isn't working, and why are you still in it? And how can you, you know, how can you fix it? How can you get out of it? So I think a lot of it does come with, the, with more of an internal understanding of why you're doing something. Very interesting. That's true. How has writing the novel transformed you personally? You know, it's made me lighten up a little bit. (laughs) Taking myself, (laughs) even me, who was always cracking jokes, um, taking myself a little less seriously because I was paralyzed um, to write the book because I didn't really want people. I was worried that if people didn't like it, they they would review it and review me harshly. Um, But people will you know, say whatever they're going to say anyway. So I realized that that's right. something I could, that can be within my control. The only things that I really can control is putting out the best book I know how to put out. Um, and I'm so proud of this book. It's the, the publisher, Post Hill Press, did a beautiful job. Um, I had a mm-hmm. wonderful editor on the book and um, a beautiful package. And uh, my publisher got it out into the world. And that's what I'm most, most proud of. So I try to be a little happy about it. Um, mm-hmm. and less serious about it. And that's that's been a big, big lesson for me. Wonderful. And it's very difficult, to, I think, for the other side of the equation, you and I, we are basically putting it out there to whereby you're going to have people that's criticizing things because they don't look at it from our perspective. Right. And that's a difficult thing to take versus, like, say, in the various how-to books, a little bit different because you know exactly what you want to get done. And in some ways, it's very clear. It's black and white. It's twofold. I think, you know, we're in a world right now where people feel really good when they criticize each other. <laughs> I'm not sure why. <laughs> people really like to go off on each and yeah. even go off on people they don't know, <laughs> which is always right, funny right. to me because you'll get a Facebook post and somebody will have something to say and then you see somebody else say something. You're like, wait a minute, does that person know my friend? Oh, my gosh, they don't know my friend. They just, yeah. you know, they're yelling at them. And like, wow, this is, this is a strange yeah. culture we're living in. So I think that... Yeah. Social media has made us all a little bit more thick-skinned to criticism, certainly. Um, but there will always be somebody to say something. Um, even my organizing books, which are a philosophy of, you know, mm-hmm. one way of how to get organized. And um, somebody, right. somebody had a, a criticism of one of my books and said, this is too simple. What's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, a book yeah. about simplicity. You know, so you're always <laughs> going to have somebody. You're never going to have everybody happy. Um, I always right. think about, you know, the the kids on American Idol that put themselves out there, and they're just criticized right. so brutally by people. And um, I don't know. I guess that's just the way um, that it is right now. Um, but it is an interesting, interesting time. And you, at a point, you just have to say, you know, you know, when you have that conversation when you're breaking up with somebody, it's not you, it's me. But in this case, it's not yeah. me, it's you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. A little it bit thick-skinned with that. Yeah, it's true. I agree with that. You have to look at it. It's not you, it's them. 
and this happened to me too. I mean, when I first wrote my book, I had a bunch of wonderful five-star reviews, four-star reviews, and a good friend of mine who was an author told me, now, Johnny, I just want to prepare you. Yes, <laughs> yes, it's a good friend. I'm going to write something. I said, okay, fine. And then, hold and behold, it was one day, I had a lady that I can't remember now gave me a two or three star. Mm-hmm. And then when I read her review, she got so upset, she bought the uh, ebook and she couldn't operate it on Kindle. Oh, no. And so how do you do it with me? And, but she put it up there anyway. In a way, it affected my score, correct? Yes. But then when I look at it, I through the lens of love, I understand that she's frustrated and she's venting out her frustration. And in the end, it's not about me. It's about where she's at at that moment in time. And in some ways, unfortunately, a lot of times we have to look at it that way. Where is the mindset of that individual? When they it arrive? is. It is. It doesn't make it hurt any less. And, uh, you know, my advice <laughs> oh, is always no just, kidding. <laughs> just not to look. <laughs> if you can avoid it, please do. But it's this, yeah. it is a little bit of a sick fascination that you go and you check your Amazon page. It's like, what did they say now? <laughs> Why did they say it? You know, and it's like, yeah, but I always, yeah. I don't know, not that I think we should all be, you know, hearts and rainbows, but I do also right. think that I'm not sure what the benefit or necessity is to really tear someone's creativity down. I don't, right. you know, it's, it's, for, it's either, maybe it's not for you, and that's fine, but I, I don't right. like the idea of this, um, judgment on someone's creativity or someone's message or someone's lesson. I think you just don't buy it, and you can just keep on scrolling. (laughs) Keep on scrolling down. So true. So true. No question, but life is a buffet line. You pick and choose what you want to eat. That's That's the way you look at it. (laughs) That's right. And I also wonder sometimes, you know, I think truly creative people can always find something nice to say about another creative pursuit because they know what it takes, you know. You know what it takes for that kid to get up on American Idol and sing. It takes a lot to do that. And many times the people criticizing them may not have even understood what it took to do that. So, yeah, there is a a definite misunderstanding sometimes. (laughs) What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Best Friend for Hire? Well, I would I would love for them to laugh and have a good experience with it and maybe see something in themselves um, and maybe learn something about themselves in the process. That would be the ultimate goal. But my main objective with this book was to write something entertaining and to write something light and to introduce people to these characters um, from New Jersey that are nice people. <laughs> <laughs> And they may not have known that there are so many nice people in New Jersey. So um, I wanted to write a little bit of a love letter to my home state, and that was something that was very important to me. And also to portray Italian-Americans in a positive light. Um, Yes, there are funny, quirky people in every um, nationality, Uh certainly. Um, And I think Italian-Americans, there's a wide variety of different kinds of Italian-Americans, and I wanted to portray this um, home, suburban, um, family-oriented group, and that was really important to me. So the messages of, like, the tradition and um, mm-hmm. carrying those forward was definitely something I wanted to convey. See, that's hard work. All you have to do is bake some homemade muffaladas, some <laughs> wonderful lasagna. That's it. That's it, Karen. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. I know. We love the kitchen. <laughs> we love the kitchen, right? That's right. So true. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your books, and keep up with you 
in terms of hiring you for your services. Oh, how so nice. Um, well, Mary Carla Magno, author, is on Facebook, and then my website is order period. It's the word period spelled out, orderperiod.com. And you can follow me on Twitter, Mary Carla Magno. Um, that's it, just my name. If you can spell it, you can find me. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the books are available on Amazon at bn.com, really wherever books are sold. Wonderful, wonderful. You know, when I first went to the site, it's like, order period. Ooh, that's that <laughs> strong thing. I was like, I don't know where I want to go there, man. I mean, <laughs> like, no, I'm just kidding. It's that's so the final. Kind of thing. <laughs> that's right. It's like, holy cow, do I really want to hire you? I'm intimidated. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, what advice do you have to aspiring writers to help them in their journey? Just start writing. Do not let your insecurities and your confidence stand in the way. Just start writing. Write what you know, write what feels good, and make it a ritualistic Mm -hmm. practice. If you can write every day, every other day, whatever you want to do. But I think that the sooner you engage in the writing, it's just like organizing. The sooner you engage in it, the better you get at Mm -hmm. it, the more comfortable you feel with it. So, so many people say, I've always wanted to write a book. Well, go ahead. You can start. Mm -hmm. You don't need much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could even use a pencil and paper. You can use a computer. You can use your phone, for God's sakes. Just start. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) I'm not going to stop you. The only person stopping you is yourself. Right, right. You can also take a writing class. You know, if you don't want to go it alone, take a writing class or a workshop. Go to a local community college. You can really do this anywhere. Go to the library. See if there's a reader's Mm -hmm. group. Tons of -hmm. uh, of things in your own community probably had not even thought to do. Join a Facebook group. There's another Mm -hmm. one. You don't even have to leave your house. (laughs) (laughs) Soon, Johnny, we're never going to leave our houses at all. No, no kidding, no kidding. I mean, we, we become isolated now. You know, no longer mixing with anyone else anymore. True, unless we want to yell at them on Facebook, which we can do from anywhere. There you go. There you go. We got FaceTime and everything, so yeah, That's you true. can go live. So you can do just about anything. Yelling. And what are you doing? I'm yelling into my computer. Okay, is that okay with you? <laughs> That's wonderful. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Yes. My recipe for living is find what makes you happy and pursue it without abandon. Just do it. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Well, Mary, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday morning, September 26th. My guest will be Kelly Sullivan Walden. She's a dream therapist and author of five books on dreams and premonitions. Kelly and I will be discussing enlightening stories from people who have experienced the extraordinary and tapped into life-changing wisdom from her latest co-authored book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Dream, and the Unexplainable. 101 eye-opening stories about premonitions and miracles. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Mary, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. It's been my great pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.
plus Billy Lord from American Horror Story. Just the thought of it makes me shudder. An all-new Ellen, today at 3, only on NBC5. The new NBC DFW app, bringing you critical weather information faster. S-Fan Radar, thousands of local weather stations, breaking news and weather. The most powerful weather tech in Texas, live on your phone. The new NBC DFW app. Install it now. All-new Ellen. <laughs> Heidi Klum. That was the least scary scare we've ever done. Plus, Billy Lord from American Horror Story. Just the thought of it makes me shudder. An all-new Ellen, today at 3, only on NBC5. The new NBC DFW app, bringing you critical weather information faster. S-Fan Radar, thousands of local weather stations, breaking news and weather. The most powerful weather tech in Texas, live on your phone. The new NBC DFW app. Install it now.